So, Berto, we have a bunch of emails from patrons of the podcast who have questions for you and me, and I thought we would read those questions, answer them on the air so that everyone can benefit or disbenefit <laughs> from the conversation. What do you say, Umberto? I love it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist who practices in Seattle, and I'm also a professor who teaches in Seattle, and I'm also a podcaster who podcasts from Seattle. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I have a little factory for fidget spinners. So this first email is from an anonymous person in Seattle. They say, just call me anonymous in Seattle. They have a question about the unified theory of Muppets. So I want to read this whole thing. The what now? The unified theory of Muppets? Yeah. So I want to read this whole thing and then I – because I got to get, get through the whole thing and then, and then I'll open it up to right. your opinion about it because I feel like it needs the full explanation. Okay. So uh, the anonymous in Seattle person said, have you heard of the unified theory of Muppets? So there's an article on Slate which describes it. And basically, you have chaos Muppets and order Muppets. Mm. So the chaos Muppets are Cookie Monster, Ernie, Grover, Gonzo, Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, (laughs) and Animal, obviously. The qualities of the chaos Muppets are they're out of control, they're emotional, they're volatile. Then you have the order Muppets. Like, do you know the order Muppets? Who well, wait do? a minute. Where's Miss Piggy, or is there a third category? Miss Piggy could be considered a chaos Muppet, yeah. Okay. But she's not strictly – she's not as chaos okay. as – Okay. I'm already finding a hole. Okay. Obviously, Kermit. <laughs> right. And uh, Bert. Bert. <laughs> um, the uh, – maybe the twins, the Swedish twins. So I forget what they're – Swedish twins? Yeah, like the – Mana, mana, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Scooter. Which uh, one's Scooter? Scooter always had the clipboard oh, yeah, and was yeah, coming yeah, up yeah, to Kermit yeah. and right, saying, right, right. you know. Oh, and then and, the uh, piano player, uh, R- 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 Ralph? Uh, What's okay. his name? Oh, the the dog? Yeah. Is um, it Ralph? Yeah, he might be. Yeah. He might. I don't know where he fits in the spectrum. What S- about that huge one, uh, the blue one? Uh, I don't know. I forget his name. Sam the Eagle? No, that's the one I'm talking about. Sam okay. the Eagle. So these... Uh, Muppets are neurotic, they're, they're anxious, mm-hmm. they're uptight, they're highly regimented, they're averse to surprises, they resent, they're, res- they're responsible, but they kind of resent it, you know, Kermit and Bert and Scooter, yeah. they're not super happy that they have to control the chaos Muppets, but they secretly revel in the knowledge that they keep the show going. You know, there's a certain <laughs> superiority to Bert, Scooter, and Kermit, you know? Yeah. And your first grade, according to the Slate article, your first grade teacher was probably an order Muppet. (laughs) And Chief Justice John Roberts is probably an order Muppet. So the uh, article goes on to say, the key to a happy marriage, a well-functioning family, and a productive place of work lies in carefully calibrating the ratio of chaos Muppets to order Muppets within a closed system. (laughs) This theory... Uh, has uh, oh, then the emailer goes on to say, this theory of the of the unified theory of Muppets has helped me understand a little bit about myself. I am an order Muppet. I gravitate towards structure, but when I look at my life, I see a pattern of chaos. Despite my best intentions, for some reason, I just can't help but to cause chaos in my life in both little and big ways. But I very much want to be an order Muppet. So, hmm. 
what do you think about this, bro? Uh, it's very, very uh, funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, clearly there were at least a couple types of Muppets. And if the idea is to try to apply it to uh, humans, um, I, I feel like the, the thing that's missing from from it, from the cursory understanding that I have now about it, is uh, there were... There were definitely people in the Muppets, or sorry, characters in the Muppets that played a more central role and had aspects of both. Like, I think Miss Piggy is sort of one example. Like, she seems very neurotic, actually, but also causes chaos because of her demands and things like that. And then you have, like, uh, what about the critics? The critics, you could call them orderly, but... They don't seem neurotic at all. They just seem like they cause a different kind of chaos. Yes. Well, I don't know if you're getting into this, but the thrust of this emailer is that it provides a way of looking at ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And like, are you a chaos Muppet or an order Muppet? And, and I guess that's that's what I'm saying is like, I don't think you can, you can put someone distinctly in one category, okay. but especially not humans. And... I have chaos, elements of chaos, and I have elements of order. Now, if you were going to say, am I more chaotic than orderly? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd imagine I am. But I'm certainly nowhere near as chaotic as, you know, I don't know, I could imagine many characters that I know and or know from... Well, what from, would make you more chaotic than orderly from where you are now? Uh, well, so what percentage? Where are you on the percentage line? I'm probably uh, 60-40. Okay. You know? So what would make you 80-20? So 80-20 would be like... Uh, you know, I probably don't have a consistent job. I mean, maybe I'm more of a psychopath in a sense, right? I don't have a consistent job. I am uh, probably moving quite often. I uh, My car is probably a POS with lots of stuff inside of it. So what about and, you uh, and me? Uh, uh, which, which, how do we, because f- the theory goes that right. at a place of work, which this is, you and me are at work, I guess. Right. I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah. But- you have to have a balance. Right. Now, you know, the theory is, you know, potentially not reflective of reality. But right. if we go with this, if we experiment with this model, yeah. uh, if you're 60-40, then <laughs> right. I have to be 60-40. Sure. So I'm like slightly more Ernie and you're slightly more Bert, <laughs> okay. even though my name's Bert. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And I have thicker eyebrows. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and my name is Kearney. Kearney. Um, <laughs> And so, do you think that you're more chaos and I'm more yes, order? certainly. On this podcast? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, in general, yes. In the podcast as well, yeah. Um, in general? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think you're way more organized and less but, chaotic than I am, but I, I But that's different. Because me, a separate from you, yeah. that's a different system. Sure. So okay, uh, sure. Just in the podcast, yes. Yeah. Because I would think that uh, when when we're in a social situation, yeah, uh, we the two of us need an order Muppet in yes. contrast to you and me. Yes, that's correct. because when we're socializing, <laughs> the two of us are chaos Muppets. That's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, and without an order Muppet. Like Carlos was an order Muppet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else would hang out with us. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Chong is sort of like could be a chaos Muppet, but often was an order Muppet. And, you know, as I'm thinking about this, there are different uh, aspects to order and chaos depending on the context, right? Like, for example, 
I am uh, a chaos Muppet when it comes to things like, you know, am I going to be a little wacky or go talk to some strangers or things like that. Uh, but, you know, I'm not the chaos Muppet that's going to start randomly doing drugs and, and stuff like that. You know, like, yeah. so there's different aspects. Uh, right. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this, which sounds funny that I was prepping for a conversation <laughs> about Muppets. But at the 11th anniversary show, yeah. that was a few months ago, uh, we, you and I, for those who weren't a part of it, uh, Umberto and I were broadcasting on YouTube Live for 11 hours straight. Yeah. And we almost never took a break. No. We, I, we both ate snacks while we were yeah. broadcasting. It's like really brief, like we a would, bathroom break. <laughs> just bathroom, yeah. We yeah. just take a break for the bathroom. And, uh, and we would take turns. <clears throat> so if I had to go to the bathroom, yeah. Berto had full reins of the podcast. <clears throat> And so this is a good example of the of what you and I the headspace we get into. So so let me back up. This relates to systems theory. So if I'm going to make this into a psychological lecture, this right. is what I'm going to say: is that when you have a system, mm. it tends to gravitate towards balance just naturally, like the force. In the same way that uh, the the climate of the world and all the things that relate to the climate, right. the temperature, so that the, the the output, if you have the variable of temperature, the average temperature of the planet, up until the time when we started pumping out carbon into the atmosphere at an increased rate uh, since Industrial Revolution, um, there was a careful balance mm-hmm. between as as the Earth got colder, so there's many different things that play into the climate and to the overall average temperature of the planet, but... One element of that is that as the as the Earth got colder, the well, um, like the ice, the ice, uh, the ice forms, but it also starts to reflect, which right. which creates more coldness. Yeah. But but then there's uh, the gases that trap the reflection, reflecting off the ice, and then that actually heats the atmosphere back up a bit. Yeah, so you have all these things in in balance. So you have the radioactivity in the core of the Earth that radiates heat from the core to the surface. You have heat being radiated off of the planet. You have heat coming in from the planet. You have a certain balance of carbon and greenhouse gases uh, insulating the planet. You have cloud cover. So which ones are the chaos Muppets in this? Well, <laughs> neither. Every okay. everything is is just uh, it it gravitates towards balance is the point. So, yeah. for example, if we continue to pump uh, carbon into the atmosphere, and say somehow we slow it down, which is hopeful, we somehow but the carbon's up there and yeah. the temperature of the planet raises. Eventually, we'll we'll probably in all likelihood reach some new equilibrium mm-hmm. where the average you know, temperature of the planet will be like, you know, 10 degrees hotter or something. And, but it'll balance out and, and it'll, it'll, you know, it'll equalize. Yeah. Like for example, it'll, the system will kill off humans and therefore the emissions will go down and then the climate will stabilize. Exactly. In this, in the same way that our body, we, our immune system, we Mm -hmm. have, there's a balance. If the immune system is too strong, like anything that quote unquote boosts your immune system, you're just asking for terrible, terrible things like right. arthritis. And sh- if I, I don't, I'm not a biologist, sure, sure. but 
um, if you boost your immune system, it starts attacking your own body. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want a weak immune system, so there's a balance between you want the immune system to be strong, but not too strong. Yeah. Too strong, you end up suffering. Not strong enough, you end up suffering. There's a there's a there's a balance there, and so. Any and so it's a system, and maybe maybe that's the idea. Like in the Jedi stuff, in the Star Wars stuff, where when you have a light side that becomes too powerful, they they you know power corrupts, and if you have a dark side that becomes too powerful, power corrupts. But you need to be in balance with yourself and as a group. Right. Okay. So all systems gravitate towards what systemic theorists called homeostasis, which is balance. Um, every cell in our body, our bodies as a whole, right. our climate, organizations, um, this podcast. Okay. Right. So uh, because this podcast has an output that we're trying to optimize, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to stay stable. We're trying mm-hmm. to stay – so there's a number of different things and you chime in if you can think of anything too. We're trying to stay together. You and I don't want to fly apart. Right. We don't want to hate each other. Um we we want to produce something that's interesting or useful to the listeners. Mm-hmm. We we um, but it needs to be interesting. But it like needs- it, it, meaning it, it can't be a flat a flat line. Can't be a flat it's line. Gotta have someone going like this with their voice sometimes. Right. It has <laughs> to have spontaneity. Yeah. It has to have it has to have realness. But it, but it can't be all spontaneous. Right. And, and it's all- got to be edgy in some ways, but not too edgy and always edgy. And right. You don't want to be like I don't know. Alex Jones or something like right. that, quote unquote, edgy. It has to stick to academia because people want that foundation. Yeah. But it, but if we strictly stick to that, you know, so there's a yeah. lot of different things that were that need to output from your and I right. uh, or our organization. Like it's got to have Beatles and Star Wars, but if it's, it's gotta, only Beatles and Star Wars, well, it's got to have John and Paul. <laughs> it's got to have Luke and Anakin. Wait, so and Raylo, who are the chaos? So, for example, Raylo, you know, Ray and Kylo are an example of anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> so, who, who are the chaos uh, Beatles? Uh, well, in the end, Paul was the order. Yeah, was and it, then John was chaos. Well, in essence, like the rest of them were well were kind mm. of chaos, but particularly Ringo John. was order. So let's say John and George are chaos. Paul and <laughs> Ringo are yeah, order. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, one could say actually. So it's a good example. So it, the system of the Beatles. Uh, you, you and I know a lot about the history of right. the Beatles, at least what's been written and said about them. In the beginning, you had a stable system because you had. John was in charge, and he mm-hmm. had the energy to be in charge, and he was motivated to be in charge. He was the older Beatle. He was the more charismatic one. He was the quicker talker. He had more kind of a biting tongue. He knew right. how to put people in their place. But he was also very much in love with the Beatles in the beginning. He was very much in love with Paul in a yeah. lot of ways. And so he was the, – the balance in the Beatles was such that uh, there was a lot of warmth but, and a lot of chaos – but there yeah. was also a lot of order, and, and you could say that that as a as a meta system, the four Beatles together were pretty chaotic. But then they got balanced out by George and and Brian. Right. So you put that six person system together, and there's enough order and there's enough chaos yeah. uh, to keep it in balance. You need spontaneity. You need fun. You need, but you also need to st- stick to a script. Otherwise. Yeah. You'll never produce anything or right. you'll end up saying bad things about Jesus and being banned in certain parts yes. of the country. So you got to keep things in, in balance for the output to be optimized. And so 
the uh, after Brian dies, uh, that threw it off. Yeah. Too much chaos. Um, and Paul tried to step into the Brian role, mm-hmm. but he's just another beetle. Mm-hmm. So John's not going to look up to Paul. Right. He looked up to Brian in a certain way. He also abused Brian, according to some reports, but, yeah. but he looked up to Brian as sort of like a pseudo father. But John wasn't going to look. So the, so the balance of there wasn't enough order, and yeah. that was very clear at the end of the Beatles. I mean, they ended up looking for order by hiring some shyster from the United States, some lawyer or, or you know, band manager that fleeced all their money. And, yep. you know, it was uh, and, and they started investing in really stupid things like the Apple Store yep. and all these like real experimental bullshitty things and lost a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. And so. So that's a good example of like, but it's a hard thing to predict. It's a hard thing to write a formula for of just like, okay, how much order is needed and how much chaos yeah. is needed. It's a magical formula that just sort of uh, is created. One could argue that this podcast is like that. So getting back to you and me. So clearly you're the chaos Muppet and I'm the order Muppet. Right. <laughs> not that I don't have chaos. I'm not like a, I'm not like a, you know, eagle or what, what's it? What's his name? Sam the Eagle. Sam the Eagle. <laughs> um, and you're not an animal. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but you know, one could say that I'm I'm a I'm a Kermit, and you know you're a you're a Grover. <laughs> uh, you're not a Cookie Monster. You're not okay. a Cookie. You're, you're, you know, Cookie Monster and Animal. They're they're real. They're all chaos. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you could say you're. You're either an Ernie or a Grover or a Gonzo, and you could say that I'm like a, a Bert or a Kermit. Anyway, yeah. so um, as an example, uh, oh, sorry, but 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 I think it's important that you, and in fact, you you did this, uh, which or just a little bit ago, is it's important to contextualize it, contextualize it to a specific dynamic structure, because. I think what I was reacting a little bit initially was the idea that me as a person, I am a chaos puppet, period. Right. As opposed to like, in this context, I'm a little bit of this. In this context, I'm a little bit of that. Great. So that's systemic theory is that we are not individuals. Mm -hmm. We are a product of our system. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but for me, well, I could speculate for you, but for me, I'm an order Muppet on this podcast. I'm an order Muppet when I'm a professor even more so. Mm-hmm. In fact, some people at my, some students will listen to the podcast and at my university, they'll be like, I was so intimidated by you until I listened to your podcast. Yeah. And, I, and I realized, you know, that, and I, they go dot, dot, dot. And I, and I'll insert and I'll be like, I'm a douchebag like anyone else. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I guess so. You're a little bit of chaos Muppet. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I don't say things like bag of dicks at yeah. the university. So I'm, you know, definitely more of an order Muppet at my university um, because that's what the system calls for. There's right. too much chaos. The students are, they're not, the students aren't chaos Muppets, but there's too much chaos yeah. and, and there's too, there's, there's a strong need for leadership as a professor. Right. Um, you could say that the chaos is, is present in the fact that the students are insecure. They don't know what they're doing and they, uh, they don't know how the system works. They don't even know how to be a therapist yet. There's, right. there's a lot of disorder, and they need me to yeah. order it all. So as an example, today I was listening to a story from uh, Mike, uh, Mike Tyson when he was training with this one guy. 
uh, famous trainer. I forget his name, but uh, he, he, the trainer was telling the story. Now, Mike Tyson, I, I don't know if, how much you remember, but like he had a, a work ethic like nobody's business. Like he worked hard. He was up at 4 a.m. running, like all this stuff, right? Yeah. So to think of him as a, a chaos muppet in that sense would be kind of silly. But certainly a lot of his antics, especially later, you could imagine, oh, that's kind of chaos muppet. But in this case, I mean, the, biting Holofield's right, ear that's off. extreme animal behavior, right? Um, the, the muppet animal. Uh, but the it was Holofield, right? Yeah, Evander Holyfield. Holyfield, yeah. yeah. But the trainer was talking about this one time where uh, Mike Tyson was punching, punching, and then uh, I forget what happened, but like he he turned around for a bit, sort of taking a, a mini break, and Mike Tyson took off his gloves and his um, and his uh, like Wrapping. the protective the wrappings, and and then the trainer turns around, and he's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Well, I'm done." He's like, and then the trainer knew, he's like, "I can't let him be in charge." I need to be the, the order Muppet. It's like, even though technically he's already worked his ass off. And like, so, so he's like, no, you're not done. It's like, well, I already took off my thing. Fine, we're going bare-fisted. And like, he had him go bare-fisted and his knuckles were bleeding and all this stuff. Right. So <laughs> the trainer, according to his own experience or intuition or combination, intuited in that moment that in order for us to have an outcome, an output of this system where you, Mike Tyson, are the best you can be mm-hmm. and are trained well enough for the next fight, uh, you cannot, you, you know, the, the Mike Tyson introduces a chaos based on his own emotions mm-hmm. of he's tired and he's done and he's bushed and he doesn't want to do it anymore. And without a order, like, you know, uh, Brian Epstein saying, mm-hmm. you're going to go back on, you know, get the next single out, get, you know, I, you know, put on the monkey suits. <laughs> it's, it's not like the Beatles didn't want to. It's not right. like Mike, Mike Tyson didn't want to win, right. but the chaos of his own emotions. That's, right. that's the chaos. And so that's the, that's the important thing to think when you're thinking systemically. It requires a certain uh, layered thinking to what elements you focus on in the system. Yeah. That we're not, you know, it's not that Mike Tyson is a chaos muppet. Is that Mike Tyson's tiredness and his emotions and his um, his own susceptibility to his mm-hmm. emotions is the chaos muppet. Right. Uh, overall, Mike Tyson could be characterized as an order muppet because he right. works really hard. But his emotions is he has an animal and, and a cookie monster inside <laughs> of him right. that he cannot provide the order muppet over, so that the output of the system is optimized. So, in other context, and also another order muppet context that I'm an order muppet in is organizing parties. Mm, yeah. I am a, I'll just admit this, I'm one of the best party organizers. (laughs) Your parties are amazing. Well, whether they're amazing or not, I pull them off. Right. And I don't, I, there's hardly anyone else who can compete with my, I have, Mm -hmm. I have organized all of my high school reunions of which there's been three. I've organized several family reunions in which like a hundred people show up and there's like games and, you know, banquets and awards and, you know. Uh, videos and, uh, you know, lots of things. I've organized, I organize all the big parties that you're a part of. Right. I organize, I'm organizing my own birthday party in a couple weeks. So you have those contexts in which you're an order Muppet. Right. And others, I'm a chaos Muppet. Like in my marriage with my wife, I am the chaos Muppet. Mm -hmm. Stacy is the order Muppet. Like we were in Mexico last month and we're on the beach and <laughs> and I see jet skis or 
what do you, skidoos or whatever you call right. them. And I'm like, oh, we're getting on those things. <laughs> and Stacy's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, come on. Now, I haven't ridden, I haven't ridden, I, I've only ridden one of those things once in my life, and mm-hmm. I was in high school. So we're talking 30 years ago was the last, was the only time I've ever ridden on one. And it was in Lakes, Washington in Seattle, mm. which is extremely, uh, 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 calm waters. Yeah, that's not a five. Uh, what is the the rapids called? The five? I don't know. Yeah, something level five rapids or something. <laughs> this is the Pacific Ocean in the afternoon in Mexico in uh, Puerto Vallarta, where you have pretty high swells. Oh wow! And especially right as close to the shore, you know, people are yeah. people are surfing. So I've I have to navigate this Yeets. this thing like beyond the and surf. And it's a uh, what is it? Uh, uh, well, they, I think they call them ski doos, but they're okay. essentially you don't you know s- s- jet skis you have to stand up in, right? And these ones you sit down like and, a, and there's power. You're, yeah, you're, it's essentially ah. like a like a snowmobile. Yeah, and so I I'm like we're getting on that thing now. <laughs> why do I think this is going to work out? <laughs> I don't, but I'm like. And I, the thing is, is that, and Stacy's going to be the order muppet. Now, if Stacy wasn't there with me, I would have had a different reaction. Yeah, right. If, if, if for example, I was with a, a bigger chaos muppet than me around these these uh, water craft, I might have been like, well, let's think about this for yeah, a second. Yeah. I probably still would have done it, but I would have been a lot more hesitant in that space in the system that was me and Stacy. I was hundred ten percent on board. Right. Why? Because I knew in my unconscious, based on my systemic understanding of the history of our relationship, that she was going to point out the unsafety (laughs) issues. I see. I also knew that if it was so unsafe that it was probably not a good idea, she would actually put a kibosh on it. Mm. She'd be like, this is a a no-can-do deal. So that was your your fallback. (laughs) Unconsciously, yeah. I just I know I can go one hundred ten percent into this, depending on her, based on her history, based on our system yeah. that we've developed, our homeostasis. That it, if there's enough red flags, she will pull the plug. That's but, but she didn't. So right. we get on the thing, and I immediately start gunning it. <laughs> Looking back, it's like why? Why? Like I, we we could have died, you know, out there in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Why? Because I knew she would tell me to slow down. Uh. This isn't conscious, you know? This isn't conscious. Um, Now, she, from her perspective, there's a part of her that wants to have fun. Yeah. She had a great time on that, whether she can admit it or not. She she had a great time. But she knows that I will drag her on a lot of things like that. And you guys were only in the hospital for two days or something. Yeah. So so in my marriage, in certain aspects, I'm definitely the chaos muppet. And I'm not the order muppet. Uh, with some friends in some context, I'm the chaos muppet. Now, hey, like for, for example, like you and I, we don't go out too much anymore. But when we used to go out, we used to trade off. Like sometimes I would be more chaos. Mu- uh, mu- I was going to say monkey muppet, and you were more chaos muppet. And like I remember you getting pizza like at all hours of the night after going out. And I'm like, why are you eating pizza right now? Yeah, right. And and I'm I, hungry. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> Cookie Monster for pizza. Yeah. At four in the morning in Vancouver, BC. And I'm like, why are you getting pizza? Well, the thing is, is that what's beautiful about Vancouver, BC, uh, in contrast to Seattle, is that on every, uh, downtown Vancouver is concentrated. It's like they have Ballard, right. Capitol Hill, uh, Pioneer Square. In Seattle, you have all these little 
uh, neighborhoods right. that are wonderful, but they're they're unique to that neighborhood. And you got to travel by at least an Uber to get there. Yeah, yeah it's like a half hour Uber drive yeah. to get from each little node. Uh, whereas in Vancouver, although you have you know Kitsilano and yeah, sure. West Van and stuff, but you know the the Robson, uh, there's that one area that's packed. Yeah, it's just, it's it's yeah. a, like for blocks and yeah. blocks. And the thing about that neighborhood that because where our hotel was in the neighborhood right. is that there's a pizza joint and a and a shawarma joint open at. Every other, <laughs> yeah. every other corner, everywhere. Not to mention a few Japanese, uh, other or not j- just Japanese, but like there's. The, uh, like, I don't know if those are open late, but there like were definitely Izakaya places. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. It, open till six, yeah. six in the morning, and it's just like, <laughs> you know. Whereas in Seattle, you gotta okay. Where's that hot dog place right. again? Anyway, so yeah, I was the kid. Anyway, so getting back to the show. Yeah, at our eleventh, so we've developed this homeostasis, right? Where. Um, you, uh, I prepare for the episodes. I do all this background. I have an outline I follow. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about the, you're not thinking about the time. Like if, like if you, if I never say, okay, that's the end of the episode. We keep going. We would be just <laughs> eleven you know, hours every day, <laughs> like that soccer player rolling into the infinity. You and I would just be, yeah, because that's not your headspace. Because yeah. why? Because you know I'm going to do it, right? If I did, that's a good point. If I didn't, I have to. In fact, there are those times where I have a constraint, and so in those moments, I have to be like, okay, I can only do ten more minutes or something. You know? But I'm the one who actually dictates that. Like right. you, 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 re- you'll tell me ten more minutes. But you won't go like we have to stop. Right, right, right. I'm the one that actually will stop it. Right. You know because that's my job. I'm yeah. the order muppet. In the same way that it with uh, the roles are reversed with my wife. Okay. So during the 11th uh, anniversary hours, okay. show, um, there were times when you had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And when I went to the bathroom, because you're in a headspace <laughs> of chaos, we would go into the stratosphere. <laughs> The episode will completely go off. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> Stacy was sitting here silently, and afterwards, or the next day, she said, do you have any idea what Umberto was talking about when you were in the bathroom? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, what? I thought, because I would come back into the room, and you would kind of play up that you were at the end of some... Stacy told me that you were telling this, like, these chapters of a spontaneous made-up story yes. <laughs> that made no sense to the listeners. Like, no offense. But, no, I know. But I she said people were commenting on YouTube Live, what the hell is Umberto talking about? <laughs> so you were so spontaneous and so non-orderly that it became unlistenable. Right. Okay. You leave and go to the bathroom. And I re- now I remember this because I was sitting here. Yeah. I remember the wind would just completely came out of my sails. Oh. <laughs> and I sat here and I was just like, and I was, you know, I'm looking at the same notes. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'll just continue going down my notes. Yeah. And the uh, 98% of the compelling nature of the right. broadcast was lost right. without the element that you bring, yeah, which yeah. is the cat. Now, because I'm all order, I'm looking yeah. at my notes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if you and I were doing a different style of podcast or... Uh, or on days where like, you know, if you know you're doing an episode by yourself, right. you don't, you don't, you can't subconsciously be like, well, Berto's going to be here to add fun elements. Right. Like you got to keep it interesting in your own way. I'm, I'm sure if I was doing an episode by myself or when I've recorded my videos, like I can't be just like all wacky all the time because right. that's not a right. thing. 
So you and I, over 11 years, have developed a understanding unconsciously of how this system between you and I works. Call it chemistry, call it intuition, call it relationship. Call it karma. Whatever. <laughs> but it's, a, it's how we all step into and develop a systemic homeostasis yeah. that was exhibited by the fact that when one of us would leave, the podcast would com- be, the output would completely <laughs> suffer. Right. It would either be too orderly or too or chaotic. Too chaotic. Yeah. And with the balance comes something good, and without that comes something bad. So when we're so when we're talking about so think out there for yourself, everyone think about uh, in podcast land. W- not are you a order muppet or a chaos muppet, right? But in what contexts are you an order muppet or a chaos muppet? What's the output of that system that's necessary? So with a friend of yours. You end up being kind of the order Muppet while your friend gets drunk and is the chaos Muppet. That's because the two of you have developed that system and or you and your spouse, you know, right. you're the spontaneous, uh, you know, Ernie and your your husband is the stodgy Bert. The 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 problems arise when systems and this is well sort of philosophized in family systems theory of which is the primary theory that we teach in my program is that when the roles become rigid. Mm. So for example, in our relationship, if I could not appreciate spontaneity or if I couldn't be spontaneous or if I never said things like bag of dicks or if I chastised you for being chaotic uh, that would be me being, in this context, too rigid, too rigid right. to the role. Right. For you, if you uh, never allowed me to order the podcast, like right now you're sort of deferring to my line of Ma- thinking. Mouse, na- napkin, <laughs> table. Right. Instead of saying random things, you know, uh, and so if you were like, I'm going to be chaotic and I'm going to say silly uh, things right. um, all the time, regardless of what the situation calls for and what the system is trying to do. Yeah. Another uh, unhealthy thing that will develop in marriages and families and places of work is if um, I, is if uh, to think about is people's needs. So you have needs, I have needs. Right. The listeners have needs. That's that's our system because because the listeners are. Uh, Sort of amorphous element of this system. Yeah. Because if we, you and I, were just talking alone without recording, we wouldn't be talking this way. No. Um, so they're 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 a part of the system. So everyone has needs that you know we've we've identified the listeners' needs because we've referred to that as output. But you could almost consider it in, you know sort of swirling input. But you and I have needs too. We're we're emotional creatures. We have we have needs. Right. You have we have needs to be respected. We have needs to be heard. We have needs to be seen as not like idiots. We have needs not to make fools out of ourselves. That sounds stupid. (laughs) We have needs to have fun. We have needs. And so, uh, and those needs are probably pretty similar. Right. Uh, If we become so beholden to the roles and we ignore and we don't allow flexibility in the moment to, to pay attention to the broader uh, purpose of this system, which is to meet all of our emotional needs. We're trying to meet the listeners, quote unquote, emotional needs, you know, giving information meets some sort of emotional need that they have right. in essence. 
you have an emotion, you have emotional needs, you know, uh, I have emotional needs and the way the system works, because it has been working for 11 years, correct me if I'm wrong, in in a good way. At least for 10 and a half of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that you and I must be paying attention, consciously or unconsciously, yeah. intuitively, non-intuitively, to each other's emotional needs. Right. We pick up on that. We pick up on like, what, where is, through empathy, you know, where is Umberto emotionally? What does he need right now? Uh, and I, and early on, uh, um, maybe even not that early on, but like at least for the first couple of years, uh, I think we were developing the empathy for the listener in that sense, you know, because we didn't really because we didn't have listeners, right, right, and right. we were and we we're figuring out right. right, and that's one way you could look at how the podcast evolved yeah. into a better product because we over time slowly heard things from them and yeah. took it into account. And so the when you people out there on podcast land are thinking about the systems you're in, the marriage, your relationships, your friendships, your workplace, your families, another part to think about is does the system and the way the routines, the system works out, whether it's order or chaos, is it facilitating the, the meeting of everyone's needs? Mm-hmm. Is there too much rigidity to the role of chaos or order that uh, disallows needs to be met. And maybe even, are you having to do it all? Like, you know, one thing that's coming to mind is, uh, I'm thinking of George Lucas doing episodes one, you know, two, three, especially one. Uh, Like, in some ways, he became a band of one. I mean, sure, he had all these people, but he was kind of like the ultimate say-so for everything. And so maybe he was trying to have to be both chaos and order, like chaos, like my script is late, but no one's there to tell him, turn it in anyways. And so he's probably like, well, I guess I should turn it in, but it's not ready. And like maybe that kind of dynamic when you're trying to do both sides of the coin at all times uh, can be problematic. That's interesting to think about. So let's, let's sort of walk or so, you know, again, we don't really know that much, but we, we, I think we know enough to speculate is that when episode four, A New Hope, the very first Star Wars movie came out, George Lucas was poor. He, uh, well, he wasn't like super poor, but he wasn't, he could have been destroyed. He could have been ruined financially if Star Wars didn't do it. Because didn't he finance it a lot himself? In my understanding, yeah. Yeah. Um, He had done American Graffiti and had some success uh, financially. But uh, anyway, so he uh, had a lot of order and chaos in him. But maybe a broader way to look at it is that uh, he had time constraints, he had money constraints, and he had producers who were pushing him, and he was pushing back. And he wasn't the George Lucas who's shipped, or shipped, <laughs> who has created three Star Wars movies that grossed a billion dollars, you know? <laughs> right. So the system had an output of try to make the best movie possible. Mm-hmm. And George Lucas was was so overwhelmed that he almost died. He he had yeah. he had a he had to go to a hospital because he was so stressed. His blood pressure was through the roof and everything. Well, he had a lot he needed to collaborate a lot. Mm-hmm. He had sound guys and script people and friends who, you know, yeah. uh like Francis Ford Coppola and 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 Brian De Palma and others and and um Steven Spielberg. Spielberg yeah. People who he was unsure of himself, so the system included a lot more people. Yeah, and and people that had uh, 
val- valuable and valid input into the system, not just dismissible opinions. Right. So the the roles, I mean, George Lucas was still in charge. Yeah. But the roles were flexible because at times George Lucas would be like, well, I've, I don't know what I'm doing really right, right. now. I've never done a Star Wars. <laughs> right. So uh, he was, the system was more, there was more openness between right. the elements of the system right. because no one really knew what they were doing and they needed to depend on each other. And if anything, you could say that um, there wasn't enough leadership right. really that, and it almost fell apart because of that. Anyway. So you fast forward to the prequels, episodes one through three. Now, George Lucas is considered a genius. Because think about oh, right. after episode six. Yeah. He hadn't really fucked up yet, right? No. The most was, you know, the, the small percentage of people annoyed by the Ewoks. That was about it. But yeah. that was pretty small. Yeah. He was considered a genius. It was considered the, you know, the best movie trilogy of all time. It grossed, you know, millions, yeah. billions of dollars. He... You know, started uh, the uh, the CG, the the electric or the light or whatever. Oh yeah, ILM, uh, industrial light and magic. Yeah, Skywalker Ranch, yeah. that whole thing. And he uh, now has tons of confidence. He right. has a ton of people following him. Unlimited money in in a, in a sense. Yeah, and no uh, dependence on. Spielberg and these other people to help him because he has all the confidence in the world. Why yeah. wouldn't he have all the confidence in the world? And uh, given that completely new system, a, a totally different product was was produced because right. you could say that you could say that in, in in episodes, you know, the original trilogy, Lucas was still very much concerned about the viewer. You know, be, you, you know, there were, there was a lot of talk about like, oh God, is anyone going to like this thing? <laughs> you know, he was very concerned about that because if it if the viewer didn't like it, he wasn't going to be in the film industry anymore. <laughs> you know, like it was going to be the end of his career. With the prequels, he knew, I'm sure, he could bomb uh, at least episode one and still be a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. And he already has the legacy of creating Star Wars. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't really have anything to lose. Right. And uh, so a totally different system, different hierarchy, different different noticing of the elements. And, and by the way, there's clearly some aspects about George Lucas that seem very orderly, maybe not his ability to deliver scripts on time. But if you look at episode one, it's a very ordered movie you know what i mean like it's just every everything it's very clean looking the set looks clean the effects look clean the story is pretty straightforward it's very clean yeah it doesn't feel chaotic enough in a weird way <laughs> yeah so uh he be, so because of the system now so george lucas is the same guy he was right you know personality wise you know same you know essential brain but the the system of episode, of a new hope was completely different than yeah. than whatever phantom menace phantom menace yeah and that's why you had a completely different output and that that's the thing you know but we as linear individualistic thinkers we tend to go like well george lucas must have always been an idiot you know cuz that cuz it's like how do we reconcile the fact that right. 
four, five, four, five, and six are genius movies. Yeah. And one, two, and three are ridiculous. Yeah. How do we? How do we explain that? Oh, he must have always been a, an idiot, and we just got fooled or something. <laughs> right. We were all, yeah. like, what happened? You know, or or when you get rich, you. Um, you know, like what are the narratives, right? Or, or when you when you have the band that you love their first album and then they put out their second album. But what are the narratives as that explain why episodes one through three were terrible? Because he was just solely in control and he had all the veto power on all the decisions. That's what people say. That's what people say. And yeah. that there's this documentary of the making of. Yeah. And I will say, it does seem that way because like no one, everyone around him is kind of like. You know, okay. very shy to say they're they disagree or so so the good so that's essentially a systemic way of looking at it. Yeah, that if the system for episodes one through and three was such that there was more openness, an exchange of ideas and power between George Lucas and his team, that it would have been a much better product. Uh, and I would add that um, you know you were saying that our, our listeners are part of the system for us, right? I do remember also in that documentary and interviews and stuff, I did get the sense like he was discounting the existing fans as part of that system to a great extent. You know, like, well, I'm not making this for like, you know, I'm making this for the new kids, like that kind of thing, mm. which is fine, right? Like, he is entitled. It is his his IP. But he was in a potentially either discounting or not counting enough that the existing fans were part of that system as right. well. And, you know, that seemed to have worked because there's a lot of young people who really love episode yeah. one through three. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know why. And they had no context anyways. And, right. Yeah. Because they saw it when they were seven and yeah. it was great it to was them. fun. Anyway, let's take a break. And when we get back, let's answer more emails. What do you say? Let's do it. So, Berto, if a Muppet were to ask the listeners to become a patron, what would they sound like? <laughs> Oh, hello, hello. Um, we're about to start um, re- re- the second part of the show, but um, if you could like um, become a patron right now. They w- oh, what is that over there? Oh my gosh, the sun is falling. All right, quickly become a patron because I don't know if we're going to be here much longer. That's good. It's like a scooter. Yeah. Also a little bit of Morty in there. <laughs> yeah, it is a little Morty-ish. <laughs> All right, so patron Junie. Well, before moving on, we have our thousandth episode coming up. December 12th Woo! at 4 o'clock Thursday, Seattle time, 4 o'clock. That's crazy. We're going to be going for three or four hours, and we're going to maybe try to actually have call-ins. Ooh. So, As in call-in? Yeah. Call-in, call-in? And so join us for that. It's going to be our thousandth episode on YouTube Live. Wow. And uh, also... If you become a $10 or up patron between mm-hmm. now and then, 2019, December 12th, you will get a signed card from Ian and Berto. Nice. A special thousandth episode card. That is crazy. Which Stacy is currently designing. Woo! If you become a mug level person between now and the thousandth episode, you'll get a mug, but you also get a pin and you also get a signed card. We have these special... Uh, pins that are yeah. real satisfying and it says uh, because you deserve it. Also uh, we have two scholarships that we're giving out to uh, deserving people. The deadline for the scholarship applications is December 31st 2019. 
Go to our website, fill out the application. We've already had some applications. Don't procrastinate. We have uh, one, we because patrons we donate their money to the podcast, we always give a portion of that money towards various charities that we support. One of which that a lot of the listeners really appreciate uh, that we do this is we give a scholarship right. and it, to a mental health uh, student. And we've already given away thousands of dollars to students, and so we're offering uh, more scholarships. Uh, we, we're offering one $2,000 one. An anonymous patron actually gave us $2,000 to offer a second scholarship it's insane. this round. And so we're giving away $4,000 to mental health students. So go uh, to the website and apply now if you're a mental health student. Um, review us on iTunes because I think that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you have an iPhone, right? I do. Can you leave an, I- an iTunes review on your phone? Can, you know, <laughs> well, uh, probably <laughs> I've never done it. Well, anyway, I uh, do app store reviews. Uh, you know, <laughs> so there's there's got to be a way. Like I don't know how to do it personally. I used to back when I used to have physical iTunes on my computer, which I don't anymore. Um, also, uh, like our Facebook page, our official Facebook page, because. That's where all of our major announcements are, and I post pictures of my cats and my new dog, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you want to see pictures of my cats and my dog, then like the Facebook page and also Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, We post more on Facebook than Instagram, but we still post on Instagram. Uh, Also, if you want to contact us, email us at – Email, go to our website and click on the contact us page. That's the best way to contact us because otherwise it's hard for me to um, get the message and it's also hard for me to respond. Anyway, patron Junie, good old patron Junie, wrote in and said, after watching a horror movie, I go for weeks struggling to sleep because my imagination is out of control. I freak out about killers even though I know it's completely irrational. Also, the lasting negative effects of horror movies never affected me during the day. Oh, I get it. So uh, she watches a horror movie. Yeah. She has anxiety for weeks after, but only at night, not during the day. Interesting. Berto, what do you think? Well, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I remember feeling that way when I was young about certain things I watched. But uh, as someone who loves horror movies, I'm not usually affected in that way. I will say that there are a couple of things that that I cannot handle well. Um, If if there's movies, and and some of the older movies that tend to do this, which is abhorrent, where they actually harm uh, creatures, like even if it's mice and stuff like that, um, that really, I can't handle that. And that's actually mini-traumatized me in the past. Uh, but when it's like, you know, when it's normal CG or just like fake stuff, like it's really hard for me to feel trauma t- or like feel um, scared about it. Uh, there are certain ghost things that I've watched, uh, especially when I was a bit younger, where I've I thought it was fine. And then like I left the theater and it was like one of those midnight showings, whatever. I left the theater and I went to get in my car and it was creepy, but it definitely didn't haunt me for weeks and weeks. So I wonder if maybe. Uh, I don't know if, if this pa- if this patron watches with other people or if do they live alone because that all could influence the 
the, those scary feelings. And maybe they shouldn't watch these scary movies if they're if they're affecting them so negatively. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Junie probably doesn't watch them very often. Yeah, uh, at least hopefully, given the effects it has on her. Yeah. So it there's not a lot of research on this. So and if, if there was, it'd be hard to lock down exactly what we're talking about here. But if I was to speculate on the factors as to why, because like, for example, my wife, Stacy, she can't even watch the trailers of those movies. <laughs> She's like, when we're at a movie theater and we're forced to watch, like yeah. when, uh, what movie did we see recently where for whatever reason, the movie was associated with horror. And so there are horror movies. Anyway, I can't remember, but yeah. She never watches any horror movies, not even close. Mm. Like she, to this day, will uh, yell at me, not, you know, seriously, but kind of seriously, about uh, convincing her to see that um, the House in the Woods. Oh, The Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Like that movie is a comedy. Yeah. And it it's a joke about right. horror, horror it's movies. very meta. <laughs> right. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a, like... All the horror movies in the past, uh, what's his face, um, who directed and wrote it? Uh, uh, God, the guy yeah. who does all the touch ups for the MCU movies. Yeah. And, anyway, that guy, he uh, decided to write Josh. a. Josh. Uh, yeah. He did Buffy the Vampire yeah. and anyway, he, Slayer. Uh, so he does all the. Uh, he took all the horror movies of the past and basically just did a send up, a, a sort of a. A parody of those movies, but yeah. also making a movie that was interesting to watch. Um, and the as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I get it. They're doing a riff on that sort yeah. of style of horror movie, and and oh, I get it. Now we're going into like Alien, and which blah, definitely blah. makes it not feel scary, but that's okay because it's the whole point is to enjoy all those references, right? But yeah. he he makes it scary enough sure. that it's um, not like a joke you know it's not like a complete joke it's like there's right. a plot you know and, and you're kind of pulling for the characters you know anyway i you know as i was like stacy we got to go see this movie you know and i think a bunch of other people were going too and she's like oh it's a horror movie i can't go uh-huh. and i was like no 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 it's not a horror movie it's like a parody of a horror movie right. so you should be fine and she was like but i don't think you understand i hate horror movies like i can't watch them oh, as no. I, I was like i was like no no you don't get it it's it's supposed to be a joke it's it's supposed to be it's a comedy trust me it's a comedy well we go and she has oh, nightmares no. for weeks after oh. and this was what like 8 years ago and that's the worst case scenario cuz she warned you <laughs> and she says to this day you dragged me to that one cabin of the woods movie oh, and my gosh. I, and but I, one I was being honest, and I I don't I obviously didn't understand the right. the level. Right, you were in like like wink wink, like you literally felt that way, and it's fair, like right? Because yeah. I don't like certain uh, movies that have a lot of jump scares, or yeah, you're not really a horror movie person. No, no, no. Uh, one, I just don't like the style of storytelling because yeah. the story often involves basically some kind of comedic spirit who just likes to slow mess with people <laughs> slowly mess with people and then kill them <laughs> and has basically complete control of reality right uh 
it's like it's not an interesting plot. It's just like you have this jokester god uh, who can who can do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even movies like Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, this creature is basically a god. Right. You're walking around, but he walks slowly. You're walking around in in a world where Thor decides to kill humans. <laughs> it's like there's no contest. Sounds pretty interesting. There, there's no you know like there's nothing you can do. You know, if Black Panther is going to kill you. Hey, you, I thought you liked the boys. What? <laughs> Don't you like the boys? The series. Oh yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, right? So, you so, so some, so some, I, so there are some people in yeah. this world who, for whatever reason, like Junie, will watch a horror movie and it'll rock them. Whereas yeah. other people, no effect really. Right. Like it, it's just like they'll be scared. They'll be you know their hearts racing while they're watching the movie, but they're not like traumatized right so what we're, we're both watching the same thing why would two different people react differently so here's my speculation because i haven't seen the research if there is any if you have past trauma that is triggered for whatever reason by these horror movies mm-hmm. then that's going to make it more damaging and more arousing and more fight or flight reaction more by that more traumatic uh, so, for example, if you have been victimized sexually or uh, if someone has overpowered you physically and abused you and scared you, watching a horror movie is potentially going to trigger that because you're right. watching often a villain uh, who, in essence, is is similar to say an uncle who beats you or forces you to have or a rapist who jumps out of the bushes, you know, like you feel that powerlessness, the boogeyman kind of thing. Yeah. If you're prone to anxiety. So if you're generally prone to anxiety, which you are Birdo, right. But for whatever reason, watching these movies doesn't trigger that. But I think that that has to do with it too. I think if, if you generally are prone to fight or flight reactions anyway, yeah. I think that's another factor. A big one, though, is not being habituated to this form of art. Fair enough. Right. For example, if you show – like I um, I come from a world of – in terms of the spectrum of, of the planet of extreme sex positivity. Right. In that I am accustomed to talking about sex yeah. with with friends, my wife – clients, students, and I'll, you know, I'll just be like, like I was talking to a supervisee the other day and I'm like, uh, and she was presenting a case and I was like, huh? So it it was giving me clues that maybe what the client was suffering from potentially was erectile dysfunction. Mm. I'm used, you know, I've talked about these topics for decades it's like talking about uh, anxiety, erectile yeah. dysfunction. So these things don't like shock you, offend you. you yeah, know, they don't. Kind of there's no visceral reaction. Right. I'm habituated to it. Mm-hmm. Other people are not. You know, that's why whenever you do these uh, sex ed classes, you do that. Uh, when I used to teach kids uh, sex ed, we would always play this game called the penis game where everyone would yell penis at the beginning <laughs> just to get it out. Right. Because, you know, there's all this tension. You got to get the penis out. Right. So you – all the class – okay, one, two, three, penis. And, and the classes next door would be like, what are they doing? <laughs> but, you know, we're yelling this penis. You got to get – you got to – part of that is to get that energy out. Right. It's also an icebreaker, if you will. But it also habituates all of us to saying the word penis. Right. We're going to be talking in sex ed about penises and vaginas and clitorises and 
and <laughs> testicles and balls and you know right. and breasts and boobs and anuses you know pubic hair you know we're going to be saying a lot of things that we're we usually relegate to the locker room right and we don't talk about in polite society and so we're not habituated to such things so if you're not habituated to horror movie images and uh and you're and you're watching one for the first time in 10 years jeez yeah it's it's going to be a lot harder With on modern the, effects and all the gore that they put in them and yeah it's going to be a, yeah. a lot more bigger, bigger, especially if you're prone to anxiety and have this past trauma. It's like in my case, I've been watching horror stuff since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And not only watching, I used to like Edgar Allan Poe stories and like scary stories. I used to love them as a kid. So I, I had been getting habituated, you know, forever. Right. Yeah. So I think that's another <laughs> factor that I don't have listed here is an appreciation for the art form. Right. So if you're like my wife, enduring these this kind of art and you're just sitting there going i hate this i don't like this movie and then you're being shocked (laughs) you know it's like it's all bad and no reason to sit through it whereas for you when you were younger and maybe more susceptible to the shock of it you liked the art form and you're like well i want to get through this and i want to be here because i like this art form yeah and i wonder too if there was actually something this might be interesting because, you know, I lived in a kind of chaotic world in Bogota, not both personally with my family and also what was happening around us in the politics and in, in the violence and stuff. I do wonder if there was a little bit of <laughs> like, oh, that feels like home kind of thing, you know, in a, in a weird, perverse way. And a level of control over it because oh, right. it's in this uh, make-believe world that's on screen. It's not real. Yeah. And so it helped you to fantasize that you could control the chaos in your regular life. I wonder if that's why uh, the other thing that was very popular in the 80s in some aspects of the Colombian community for kids was death metal. (laughs) There were a lot of pockets. I I love death metal. I would would go to sleep every Sunday night listening to death metal. (laughs) Yeah, you've talked about how when you were a kid you would listen to death metal, but I didn't realize it was a Bogota thing. It wasn't just Bogota. There were pockets throughout Colombia of like death metal fans like that's weird yeah but maybe yeah. it's similar because like death metal is scary and intense and very adrenaline filled but it's safe like you control it you know yeah. It's yeah interesting. also i think that if people have this is just speculation if you have above average empathy or above average noticing or paying attention to people's feelings mm-hmm. or or the lives of other people then you're going to be more affected by um horror movies like there's some people right. who can't watch the news very well mm. because you know there's often a lot of depiction of war or strife or famine yeah. or something and for some people because i just i watch these people and they have they have so much heartbreak you know for yeah. what's happening or like uh, a commercial that shows puppies <laughs> Who are suffering, right. you know, and for give $2 money a day. Yeah, you could feed this puppy. Like for some people, I think uh, they just generally have those whatever it is, whether you call it empathy or susceptibility yeah. to imagery or influence. They it, it just goes right to the heart for them, and it's so right. painful. I, and I, I, I think those people, when they watch the horror movies, 
they they can't separate themselves very easily from the images and it it yeah. gets to them viscerally in yeah. their body you want that in a horror movie but you don't want that too much i i will say i can actually relate to to that even myself because when i was younger i sort of prided myself me and my friend ron we sort of prided ourselves in that like nothing could shock us um he was even worse than me like do you remember those faces of death video vhs tapes in the I remember 80s, early 90s. I remember rumors of them, but I never saw okay. them because I knew that it would terrify me. Or well, not so terrify like, me, but it would not be good for my mental health. Right. So like Ron and some of my other friends watched them. I actually never could get myself to watch them. I, I didn't want to. Whether or not I thought they were real or not, I was like, I, I just can't, right? Uh, but when it came to horror movies, I don't remember, you know, like when I was in my 20s, I don't remember ever thinking while I'm watching a horror movie, oh my God, but what if that was a real person or something like that? But as I got to be older, like late 30s and then in, in my 40s, I definitely had had more, way more of those moments where I start getting like, ooh, but some of this violence does happen. What if that was a real person? You know, like those kind of things. And that does, you know, I wouldn't say it takes me out completely, but it threatens to take me out of the suspension. That brings to mind a, another factor that I think is definitely true with my wife is that she generally worries more about the kinds of things that the news makes us afraid of, mm. like school shootings right. or being killed by a homeless person or something. You know, she she has a lot more uh, fear around that. And I think that contributes to our relegated roles of chaos and order a lot of times is, you know, we'll be walking down a sketchy street in Seattle and she'll just be like, we should not be walking down the street. Mm. And I'll be like, it's fine. But she inherently just has a lot more uh, concern. Her, you know, in her mind, it's a lot more likely oh. to be killed by a man with a hatchet huh. than for me. For right. me, I'm just like, I'm much more likely to get run over by a motorcycle. <laughs> right. Or they have heart disease or a stroke. So if you watch uh, the Stephen King, what, what's the car one? The Cujo or no, uh, no. Uh, Christine? Christine is it? No, the the one where the car car follow like the guys driving oh, on the freeway. Duel, duel, duel. That one probably freaks you out the most because <laughs> you could actually get run over by. Car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, that's that, no joke. I remember yeah. watching that when I was young, <laughs> and I remember that really getting to me because. Yeah. I think all of us can relate to you're on the freeway right. and a giant truck is right next to you. Yeah. It just feels it's it's it's, scary. it's, it's concerning. Yeah. Oh, oh, and similar to that. So not only because it was such an amazingly well-made movie, but The Omen when I was a kid, that one really did freak me out and I wouldn't say it traumatized me, but I was fairly obsessed with it. Uh, for a long time because the thing is I was a Catholic boy in Colombia where it's fairly superstitious already and all we had just been like reading the the Bible in class and, and stuff and even though we weren't reading Revelation when I saw the movie all the kids at school I think because I think they played it on TV you know how those things happen right and so we were all talking about it and they're like well actually it does say that and then we're all reading the passages yeah. and it freaked me out, man. Right. Same with The Exorcist. If you believe that right. this sort of thing could happen, right. it's like a reality TV show, yeah. this thing. Um, so I think that that's another factor is, is that if you generally believe that it's possible 
to uh, have someone like Jason stalk you and kill you, maybe even because you've had someone stalk you in the past or it's just you're just more generally anxious about that that news story propaganda, then I think that's another factor that is going to – and I think one of the – you know, if we did a gender study, I'm quite positive that m- many more men, uh, male-identified people will – uh, say that they are in you know in uh, you know fans of horror movies than mm. women are right could be yeah I mean I think that's a fair assumption right I, I would I would plenty go of with... women like horror movies for yeah. sure I would go along with that assumption right so uh, and women are more likely to be targeted and yeah and, uh, or have good reason to be worried about being targeted. Right. And traditionally the victims in the horror movies, or at least how should I say this? The, the heroines a lot of times are females, but they're the ones that are under the most psychological duress because they're being chased the whole movie. Right. And that's a, that's a trope that was very, very common. Also, another reason that I think that uh, some people suffer. The last one that I'll say, just speculation as to why the the Junies and the Stacys of the world and Mm -hmm. then the Enberos of the world is a lack of certain cognitive skills. Uh, Like uh, for some people, they lack certain skills, which is natural because a lot of people aren't taught them or it doesn't come to them naturally. How to fall asleep when you have something that's concerning you. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people, they'll say, I can't sleep at night. And I'll be like, why? And a good, at least half will say something to the effect of, well, I turn off the lights and my head hits the pillow and my mind's racing. Right. And I can't fall asleep. And and then, um, you know, an hour and a half passes and I'm getting frustrated and I'm worried about the next day. And, I, you know, I'm just tossing and turning. And I'll say, like, well, what do you do cognitively? You know, what do you mean? Well, do you play any mind games to help distract you, to help you fall asleep? And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, if you just surrender yourself to your anxiety and your thought process in that moment, you don't you don't do anything to push back on that or to try to alter that, then, yeah, you're never going to fall asleep. It'd be like trying to fall asleep while you're running a marathon. Your body is getting getting a lot of signals that you shouldn't fall asleep. You know, why don't you fall asleep when you're running a marathon? Because you're, there's a part of your brain that's like, you're running, you're outside, oh, yeah. don't fall asleep. Well, another thing is if you're thinking about a problem right. and you're worried and you're scared, your body's like, well, don't fall asleep. You you're, you got unfinished business. Yeah, You got like, something's wrong. You got to resolve this somehow. Otherwise, uh, if I fall asleep, That'll be bad the for you. The lion will eat you. Cause, well, because clearly you're working on something. Yeah. So I'm, I'm for your sake, you know, body. I'm not going to fall asleep because yeah. you're, you're still working on something. You're giving me all the other signals you want to fall asleep, <laughs> but clearly you're not ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you have to tell your body that you're ready by not doing that, and you have to play these cognitive games, mindfulness, other lots of other things. So I think cert- some people. Don't have the ability uh, because because it's not natural because we're not taught this about like for Junie for example because this has happened to me too like mm-hmm. um, it's not often but there are times when I'll I'll see a creepy movie yeah and I'll come home and it'll be dark out mm-hmm. and I'll just get that thought you know Berto jumps out of the shadows and you're like Berto yeah <laughs> and I am. 
scared. I have a nervous reaction yeah. and I'm, I'm paranoid. You know, I'm like, is something going to... So if I just don't push back on that and I'm just like, I just surrender myself to my, you know, instincts, then, yeah, it's going to have a greater effect on mm. me. I don't do that. What I do is I go, Kirk, it's just a movie. <laughs> Nothing is going to jump out at you. Your your body thinks it something's gonna, but tell your body every take a deep breath, because like one of the things that people will, I'll do like, I'll tell you one story that relates to this. So, as a kid, I would take the garbage out mm-hmm. for the trucks, right? And we had this long driveway, um, not super long, but but it's in a in like the middle of nowhere. Yeah, especially when I was a kid, it's yeah. it's basically like the woods. Yeah, like. Growing up, uh, my house, you couldn't see any other houses from my house. We yeah. were a cabin in the woods, yeah. you know, and we ha- and I had to take the garbage cans up this dirt road to the main street where the garbage trucks would come. And there's no streetlights, right. at least back then. And, and, and there's no cars. There's, it's, it's rural. It's, it's pitch black. But can you use your cell phone's flashlight? Right. So... And I obviously could have used a flashlight, right. but I was too lazy. So a lot of times I'd be taking the garbage cans up. And back then we had those metal garbage cans without wheels. Oh, right. Yeah. It's so dumb. You know, like <laughs> when you see the design of garbage cans today, you're just like, why did we not have this design when I was a kid? It just would have been so much easier. Right. Yeah. So I'm basically carrying like a Oscar the Grouch style garbage can, you know. <laughs> Like with and think about a family of six, like how much garbage you could cram into yeah. a garbage can. Anyway, so I'm carrying the garbage can up sometimes in pitch black, but I had memorized my driveway so well that I could I could with my feet kind of know where I was yeah. in the in the you know I'd see these faint images. So imagine just walking in pitch black <laughs> where you can see the Milky Way. Right, and the, right, you know, right. And I would get to the top and I'd, you know, put the garbage can down and I'd turn around and it would just be this, this abyss heading down back, <laughs> back into the woods. Yeah. And I'd be walking, you know, and then, and I'd always say, okay, remember, you're okay. There's then, no bears around. Oh, wait. <laughs> but then I'd hear a little twig break, you yeah. know, from the woods and I'd be like, eh, everything's fine. And then I would, you start hallucinating. Yeah. You, could, you know, I'd see something. Every once in a while, like one out of every 50 times, something would kind of click in me and I'd be like, fuck it, run. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So so I just I'd be 13 and I'd just be sprinting in the darkness. <laughs> just miraculously not injuring. Yourself. Now you're making so much noise as a runner, you yeah. know, that you've lost your ability to detect anything. And now someone could be running behind you, but you wouldn't be able to hear right. it. And you're probably actually hearing it now. You're like, yeah. wait, there is someone running. <laughs> right. So, the, so as I would cl- you know, go off of that cliff, now I'm positive something's going to kill yeah. me. Now I'm running real fast. I'm, I'm running toward the door and I'm you know, bursting through the door and slamming it behind me. Because <laughs> as we know, uh, powerful secret mystical creatures stop when the doors are closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're afraid of the light. Yeah. And uh, so I think for some, but most of the time I'd say to myself, calm down. <laughs> if you, cause if you freak out, 
you're going to want to run. Right. And then you'll really get scared because yeah. you won't be able to, you won't be aware of your surroundings right. and you'll kind of lose <laughs> your, your brain. That's a cognitive trick. And if you don't have that or you don't trust it, then yeah, if you watch a horror movie and you come home at night and you're a little creeped out by the darkness and you have no way of pushing back on that, then it's going to have a greater effect. Dude, that, that just happened to me uh, last weekend. So you know how we did the episode on um, the the lighthouse? Yeah. Well, in preparation for that, I had watched The Witch, which, which I hadn't watched before. Yeah. By the way, I got into a big debate with my friend Ron because he swore I had already seen The Witch and I said I didn't like it. And I was like, no, I've never watched The Witch and I loved it. But anyways, so uh, I watched it, really loved it. It was pretty freaky. Last weekend, I was in Lopez Island, which is like a small island here near uh, Seattle. And it, I was staying at this one uh, rented, rented place and it was in the middle of nowhere. Like Lopez Island is not very, there's not a lot of people there anyways. It's just a lot of empty space. And it was late at night. There's no street lights there either, just like you're describing. And I went to the car, I forget what I was doing, and then uh, the, the automatic lights by where the car was went off as I'm walking back. And now I'm walking in very, very dark. And I had just seen The Witch like two days before that or something. So I'm sitting there and, like, and I had to do that thing with my head where I'm like, all right, well, yes, you can't see anything. but So no, you strip naked and yeah, <laughs> and I flew. <laughs> but that was like one of those moments. Now, granted, I'm in my 40s, but but it's the kind of, it's kind of your mind still plays tricks on you. So. And I'm going to guess that you played a cognitive trick or a skill of saying, Berto, your, your body is freaked out yeah. you're, and you have notions, yeah. but it's just because you watched a movie, there's no boogeyman in the darkness. That's right. You said that to yourself. I did. Okay. Some yeah. people do not have that skill or they don't trust that skill. And I think that's another factor. Now, I'm not saying that's everyone. And of course, I have no idea because I'm speculating on this whole thing. But I think, I think, so I think there's a lot of factors. Again, past trauma, right. prone to anxiety, not habituated to these movies, above average empathy for that sort of depiction where you're, you viscerally feel for people on the screen. You know, like some people. Uh, my mother-in-law is like this even greater than Stacy. So, you know, <laughs> whenever you see your spouse, you're always just, you just looked at the parents. <laughs> yeah. And when uh, my mother-in-law, she loves watching movies. She, But when she watches anything, particularly movies where there's action going on, she's so viscerally affected that she, she vocalizes a lot. You know, she'll just be like, ah, oh no. Well, you know, <laughs> she's, she, you know, like you're yeah, watching yeah. a tense scene and she she's screaming at the at the <laughs> screen you know because yeah. she can't hold it in she she's not a she's not just sort of like oh i'm watching a movie you it's know? like me watching curb your enthusiasm where i have to hide behind the couch exactly so <laughs> so you're you literally might be cringing your body yeah like oh no i literally do that <laughs> yeah but, you know because it it's getting into your your cells yeah and f- for uh people like that i think these movies are I think going to have a greater effect uh, because the movies are designed for people like Berto who are habituated to the form, mm-hmm. who like the art form, who uh, aren't as viscerally affected. They're sort of viscerally affected, but not as viscerally affected. Right. And if you don't make it intense enough, I'm not going to like it. Right. So I think there's a lot of reasons why, uh, Junie, you are the way that you are. I will say that 
Well, anyway, moving on. Let's do some patron shout-outs to some new patrons. Shout. Shout. Patrons are out. So, Berto, as I say each person's name, uh, I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. And these are all people who are on Patreon, who have become a patron, who have a picture of themselves because, I don't know, it's just good to see who our people are. We okay. just, I just like to – I just like to – Putting a face with a name is always nice, and most people don't put a picture of themselves on fa- on Patreon. So we got Alice, Alice in Wonderland. What a fantastical trip that is! We got uh, patron Brandon from Stark. Can- no, from California. Brandon is a warrior. I can tell. We got patron Janetta from uh, LV. What country is LV? Oh, uh, that's Lat- where Genève is from. Latvia? Latvia. Genève from Latvia. Oh my gosh, I hope it is Latvia, because if not... <laughs> I don't... Well, what would, it, what would it be? I don't know. LV. Le- it's got to be Latvia. It's Latvia... <laughs> Lebanon? <laughs> Lebanon. <laughs> anyway, Stephanie from Georgia. Stephanie, how good it is to meet thee. Uh, Luciana from I don't know where. Luciana, is she like uh, the niece of Pavarotti or? Margarita from Texas. Wasting away in Texas with Margaritaville. We got Deanne from I don't know where. Uh, Dirty Deanne. We got Nicole from Washington. Uh, You know, when I was little, I had a crush on uh, Nicole in my class, but I called her Nickel. We got Jessica from Nevada, Las Vegas. Jessica, rabbit, stole our hearts. The other Latvia. We got D-Dem, D-Dem from Seattle. D-Dem? Like uh, D-D? D-I-D-E-M. D-I-D-E-M. D-Dem. D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-
There's jalapenos. Ooh, okay. There's I'm, sour I'm, cream. I'm liking it. There's now. olives. There's onions. Maybe there's you know yeah. some kind of protein. Um, sure. You have you know all the fixins. Yeah. And, I mean, and it comes to you on a very very boiling hot platter with the cheese crusted on it, mm. and the chips do not get soggy. All right. Eighty twenty. Okay. <laughs> so for me. I'm I'm like sixty forty nachos. Oh, you prefer nachos? Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. I like them both. But yeah. anyway, most people were pizza. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, everyone's like, but then some people like Spencer are like easy nachos. Of course. Wow. Um, yeah. So I mean, for me, like, so first of all, when I was a little kid, my three favorite foods were, and in this order, coming in at number three, hot dogs. Coming in at number two. So so that's a good example. So with hot dogs, you can have a shitty hot dog. You definitely can. But you can also have a Seattle dog that has cream cheese yeah. and has it's a gourmet bun. And, you right. know, like there's a lot of variants. Whereas with pizza, I feel yeah. like you can – I've had buffet pizza that was passable. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? That looked like it, it had no cheese on it and it just had some kind of – some kind of thing like drizzled, drizzled onto it. And it's the, so number two for me was pizza, and number one was hamburgers. And again, with hamburgers, you can have a wide variety. Right. But keep in mind, this is the the context is McDonald's, right. basic pizza, and like whatever basic hot dog, right? Like that was the context. Okay. You know what they did in this, uh, there was this uh, burger place in Bogota. They caught on to this, and they started selling, get this, pizza-flavored burgers, and hot dog flavored burgers. How do you have a hot dog flavored burger? I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> well, you know Triple X in Issaquah? Yeah. They serve a like a monster burger. Right. That you know how sometimes you get monster burgers and you're like, well, it's a big burger. No. Triple X, it's like I don't know. It's like the it's, it's gigantic. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a foot across. Yeah. Or I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but big. And it's so big that they have room to cut hot, hot dogs hot, in half. Hot dogs <laughs> yeah. like down the middle and splay them out throughout. And there's ham and there's, you know, obviously a burger patty. Right. Anyway, it's ridiculous over the top. Yeah. And their hot dogs can, are like amazingly gigantic yeah. too. Anyway, another poll I put on Facebook for everyone was Is it okay to listen to Michael Jackson music? Oh, right. What percentage do you think said yes, and what percentage do you think said no? 70 yes. Uh, pretty close, 86 and 14. Okay. So most people said it is okay, because remember, to a previous poll, 99% of our listeners believe that in all likelihood, Michael Jackson was guilty right. of abusing children sexually. Right. So even with that. So even with most, that, in that most, keeping most. that in mind, uh, 86% say yeah, it's 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 okay to listen to his music, which I was surprised by. I thought uh, there'd that be is surprising. I thought there'd be more people uh, saying like, "No, you can't listen yeah. to his music." Uh, good old Natasha, patron. She says we met her. She says I personally feel gross when I hear his music. Come on, obviously it's technically great, but it's just ugh. So she's just talking more about her own personal yeah. experience. Matt agrees with her. I don't disagree with that sentiment. Yeah, uh, Ophelia says the same thing. I feel nauseous when I hear his music. Um, Lee says, I've noticed I don't feel good when I listen to it anymore. Um, Jenny says, uh, musical genius and 
contributions to pop culture are undeniable. He was a sick individual, no question. I don't think maybe I'm ignorant of the details, but the music itself was not as the not at the expense of children. If it were, then I think the conversation would be different and it would be more clear cut. So she's saying like, look, the music was separate from the abuse of the children. It's not like he, uh, you know, needed to abuse children to create this music. You know what I mean? It's like two separate things. Oh, that's a very interesting point, right? Like what if, what if there is this director? Well, well, there's an example, Woody Allen, right? uh, Manhattan, right? There's a he hires on purpose a cute young actress, which I can't remember her name, but she uh-huh. grew up to be an actress later in life. And he plays uh, he wrote the part for himself where he falls in love with a teenager. Oh, okay. In that movie, it's like okay, uh, yeah. And I think if I uh, is that the same? She time? might have talked about how she felt uncomfortable on set with okay. him and this kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. So that that that's an example of where it's like, whoa, the art is getting intermixed with a thing you 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 disagree with or whatever. Right. Yeah. The other thing to think about is that Michael Jackson's music. A lot of other people contributed to it. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Jones, Quincy Jones, yeah. Quincy Jones, and a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. As we talked about in the episode, it's just impossible to. There's no clear answer to that question. It's a personal choice. Yeah. Um, where are you landed? Oh, I landed in like I, I definitely still uh, listen to it. There are a couple songs that make me particularly uh, feel a little strange. Pretty young but, thing. Yeah. Even though I love that song, but anyways, but I do listen to it. Um, I. I don't try to rationalize it as much as like, I'm just okay with it. You know, I still love the music. Basically. I still really enjoy the music, but, uh, and when I listen to it in general, like thriller and a lot of the other songs, I don't immediately start feeling bad. But if I think about it, I feel bad. It makes you wonder if there are other either coded messages or inadvertent references to if he did abuse those children, what mattered to him. So if if we live in, because we don't know, none of us can know because none of us were there. But if we believe or if it did happen, if in the, if a world exists, if we live in a world where Michael Jackson did abuse children. Right. Uh, it, it was a, according to the theory anyway, this was essentially his love life. It wasn't like some sadistic thing that he got off on. It was, he was a right. he was a he was attached romantically yeah. Yeah, yeah. to younger people, and we know that that's a phenomenon. It's not yeah. unheard of. It's a well documented phenomenon among humans. So, it, it, so what other what other so so are... with Pretty Young Thing, for example, was he inadvertently because as a songwriter yourself, we, yeah. we're both songwriters. When we create lyrics, music also, but lyrics also, we. We don't really know where they come from. Yeah, a lot of times you don't realize connections till later. Yeah, you're just like you're just coming up with yeah. phrases that kind of make sense to you. Maybe you have a meaning in there somewhere, but you're like later on you look back and you're like, "What was I? That was interesting." You're like, "What? What? From what depths did that?" Particularly if you're writing yeah. more metaphorical things, you know. Oh, Lucy in the sky with. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, might Michael Jackson? Interesting speculation. Have had. Uh, mildly conscious things emerge, like in Pretty Young Thing. Uh, Human nature. Because uh, doesn't he talk about like uh, 
anyway, Annie, are you okay? Uh, there's yeah, there's certain phrases because that, that's always something that has always not you know you're a vegetable. Have you, you know that a vegetable? Like, yeah, like there's a lot of phrases in his lyrics that mm. um, don't make a lot of sense, and the reason why I believe because if you listen to his demo versions. Mm-hmm. A lot of times he hasn't really written the lyrics yet. Right. And this is something that I did a lot. You, yeah, I you, remember you that. wouldn't do this. What I would do is I would always write the tune and the melody. I would write everything before I wrote the lyrics and I would make up vocalizations uh, to because there or phrases yeah. that didn't make any sense. I remember we would rehearse and you and I, I thought that I just wasn't understanding what you were saying. So I remember asking you like, What is that thing you're saying? You're like, Well, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't written the lyrics yeah, yet, yeah. but I'd be like, "But to me, can load and put it down." You know, I will just yeah, say yeah. these weird words because I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't want to think about the lyrics yet. I was thinking more about the way the song felt, you know. Yeah. And like, "You're a vegetable." I'm quite positive was just something that randomly popped into his head, uh-huh. and it fit the cadence of a phrase that he would later apply words to. Yeah. A good example of this is with. Um, Thriller. There's a demo version of Thriller that he wasn't originally supposed to be like a, a horror, like song. a horror. Yeah. Song. It was supposed to be just be like a standard R and B hit, probably a love song of some sort. And there's all these phrases that he kind of throws in, but he, you, it's clear he's just kind of making stuff up. And it just makes you wonder, like, what lyrics, you know? Because uh, mm. you know, because I'm bad. Shaman, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. and uh, grabbing himself all the time. Right. It's just like, it's sort of interesting to think because in his world, Diana. Yeah. Because in his world, he, if the, if he did those things and the accounts are correct, which we'll never know, yeah. uh, his romantic love, whenever he was, whenever he really thought about in what was in his heart, yeah. he was thinking about younger people. Yep, yep, yep. And so when he was singing love songs, and the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I guess you can't listen to Michael Jackson music. Uh, but how about ABC? Yeah, well, he didn't write those those lyrics, right? So, oh, really? Oh, is that his dad or something? Or um, brothers? I don't know who wrote those songs. Okay. Uh, he might have contributed kind of. But, but yeah, of course, he was very little, right? He yeah, he was seven, seven years old, yeah. Anyway. Um, in fact, when he was being abused himself. Let's see. But uh, there were a lot of people who said it was... It was um, they felt it was okay. Uh, Emily actually said, hell nah, to the nah, nah, nah. Mm, uh, interesting. Uh, Vanessa, top fan Vanessa says, I'm scared that if we start to throw away anything created by shitty people, we wouldn't have much left. <laughs> that, that I, f- I, figure, I figure we should take whatever good things these people bring to the world without the hero worshiping. So yeah. that's an interesting thing. Yeah. So you could listen to the song while totally acknowledging, look, you know, uh, this person, you know, I believe did a bad thing. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that's, that's how I feel about Woody Allen movies. Cause it's pretty clear that Woody Allen has done some bad things. Same with, um, uh, what's his face, uh, who did Chinatown. Um, God, I can't remember that guy's name. Anyway. Uh, R- Polanski. Yeah. Roman Polanski. Yeah. Roman Polanski. Yeah. Anyway, going on to another question here. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, The King, the movie. It's a Netflix movie starring, starring Timothy Chalamet. Have you seen it? No. Joe Ed, Joel Edgerton and Robert Pattinson. Uh, 
I, I'd watch it. I, I I think it's a pretty good movie. It's very Games of Thronesy, but it's a is it based in reality or yeah, fiction? Okay, Henry V, I believe. There's a real famous battle uh, between the English and the French because they were always at war. A battle of Agincourt, where it's like a mythical uh, battle when in which the English won against you know uh, difficult odds, and it's typically attributed to the English longbow, but that's an oversimplification of it. And uh, anyway, it, it's it's an interesting story, but I'm getting... T- so here's my big thesis. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it a movie or a series? It's a movie. It's a Netflix okay. movie. Yeah. Uh, it, so did you see The Outlaw King with Chris Pine? The Outlaw King? No. Very similar movie. Okay. Al- also Netflix. Okay. Last year. There's this new trope that they're doing with these historical fiction movies. Mm-hmm where everything is dour and everything like there's like the kings never have any fun <laughs> they don't really want to be king i see but they're thrust into it yeah they are uh f- i don't know like kind of flawed the the music is very uh you know very mm. uh nolan-y you know mm. yeah like think you know uh dunkirk yeah. There's no fun in Dunkirk. No fun to be had in Dunkirk. Yeah. Uh, Amazing it, movie with zero fun. <laughs> yeah. There's never a smile. There's never a joke. There's never a, a light moment. And in that movie, I think it makes sense. And, and there's, there's, in yeah. looking back, I'm not like, well, there should have been. Kings are people who occasionally have fun, you know, yeah. they, and plus, most kings want to be king. Yeah. They want the power and they, you know, they're trying to get the power. Yeah. But in these, there's this new trope of like one uh, casting Americans or Canadians as, as kings in, in <laughs> Europe, but also this, this notion of just like, they don't want to, and they're thrust into it. It's very dour and they, they stare off into the sunset and, you know, and, and another trope that is in both of these movies is, They will depict some famous battle that is well-known in certain circles because the Outlaw King does does the same thing. And they have to, because it's fucking Hollywood, the evil king and the good king have to face in battle. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that happened all the time. Yeah. (laughs) In both those movies, they force this confrontation between our hero king and... And the evil guy on the battlefield, which never happened in either story, <laughs> and no one would think it would. No, <laughs> because in the in the throw of battle, people are dying, and this is real, you know. Right. And some, and a lot of times, kings were at the forefront of these battles. Yeah, um, that's well known. You know, Henry V actually was well known that, and he was a good fighter, and he, you know, would get injured sometimes, right. and um. But this notion that and, and in both movies what they what they did is like essentially like you're in ninth grade in the hallway and everyone <laughs> splits up everyone <laughs> forms a circle around the two you know between the bully and the other guy and they duke it out while everyone watches and right. in, in the middle of a battle <laughs> like it, anyone who's watching I hope would go like well what yeah like that doesn't make any sense like you're you're trying to kill each other. Why would you stop? Imagine seeing that in a World War II movie. Yeah, right. 
Like in that context, you'd be like, like Hitler. It, it's a, it, it's the same as if FDR and Hitler somehow met and faced each other in battle, uh, or Rommel and Patton. You yeah. know what I mean? Somehow, like Winston Churchill shows up. Yeah, I've had enough of you. Yeah, we would all go. That's ridiculous. Like, um, uh, it's it's they it, should totally do that. Yeah. They're they're doing this in movies all the time, and it's driving me crazy because they're trying to make a really good movie. They're trying to, and they're they're they they spend millions of dollars getting the costumes right. You know, like right. in the King, for example, the one with Chalamet, Chalamet. The costumes are great. Though the great thing, the good thing I will say about the King is that in a lot of movies that they make about these times, is they don't really depict the fact that armor was such a was such a was such a thing, you yeah. know, you know, like in Game of Thrones, they have a little bit of plate armor, but not a lot because you, otherwise you wouldn't see the face and you right. couldn't identify the people on the battlefield. But during these, you know, armor times, you would have this huge, heavy suit of armor that covered almost every single inch of your body hmm. and you were just bludgeoning each other. In fact, Seattle near Green Lake, um, I used to walk by the or drive by this place where these guys would show up in full armor and hmm. battle in real life. Oh wow. Like it was like a recreation of what battling must have been like back then. Yeah. And sometimes I would stop and watch them and I've watched YouTube videos about this too. You know, we have this notion like, oh they have swords and you would stab each other. <laughs> well the arms race was such that the armor became so good at protecting you from stabbing things that eventually they started using these long swords as essentially giant bats. Yeah. And you, what you're trying to do was bludgeon the other person for them to fall down. And then you would take out a little stiletto knife. And find, an, uh, find a uh, way to get it in. Find an opening. You, you would be standing on top of them yeah. while, while they're sort of weighted down by their own armor. And you would sort of work the blade in somewhere, and that's how you would kill him. Yeah. Can't you, like, I heard that if you if you step back and use, like, a sniper rifle or your pistol and aim for the orange bits. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of Halo, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because imagine you have a, one of these iron helmets on, and that long sword comes full on whack across the side of your head. It's not going to go in your head, no. but but the full force of that sword. You're getting knocked out. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or another thing that would happen was you would wail as hard as you could on the shield arm, and it would break the person's arm. Right. And then the arm would go limp, and then you could start beating on him more, yeah. and then you could slide, you know. And so in this movie, The King with Chalamet and Edgerton and Patterson, you get a sense of that. You get a right. sense of like just how protective the, the armor was and how much of a role it played. Um, anyway, so fun movie about history. I think I might have given it a five or six, maybe a four. I'm not sure. Um, if you like history, watch The King. I mean, do you like that kind of stuff? Um, you know, I I like some some aspects of it. But uh, in general, I have intended, like, when movies come out that are uh, a movie about medieval times that's not fantastical, I don't tend to care too much. Interesting. So I like if they're, like, magical or something. That... Man, not me. Any th history of that kind, mm -hmm. samurai history, World See, War II. See, I'd be more into, sa like, actually, I'd be more into a samurai thing. Like the Tom Cruise movie? Maybe, yeah. The Last Samurai? Uh yeah, I guess so. 
Yeah. There's so many problems with like, that Like, I movie. loved Shogun when I was a kid. Yeah. And okay. the, the David... Kit, well, David, I'm surprised uh, that you wouldn't... What was his name? Uh, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, Chamberlain? Chamberlain, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised then that you wouldn't also like Knight's movies because that's very similar to... I mean, I guess because... Yeah, I don't know why. That's a good question. I mean, because uh, maybe because I grew up with Arthur and the Legend of Arthur, and so like it was always there had to be some some mystical thing about it. <laughs> and like I do like Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood. I fart in your general direction. <laughs> well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle, in which we did random things. Thanks for joining us out there. Uh, we both fart in your general direction, and please take care of yourself because. <laughs> 